Welcome to the Future of Risk podcast. Hi, I'm Renee Koa from Zurich, North America. Every year, the World Economic Forum publishes its Global Risks Report, a state-of-the-planet examination on the risks for the next 10 years. As a strategic partner for the forum, Zurich helps develop the report. Although it's focused on global risks, there are some challenges and opportunities particularly relevant for American businesses. And joining us today to discuss them is Colleen Zitt, Chief Risk Officer for Zurich North America. Colleen, thanks for joining us. Renee, thanks for having me here. Now, when we talked last year, the pandemic dominated the conversation, and unfortunately, it's still with us. Yes, and it's frustrating. I mean, because it's creating major risks, aggravating others, and really overshadowing so much. On the other hand, I'm also optimistic about our capacity for resilience. That's an interesting perspective. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. I mean, since the pandemic began in 2020, we've witnessed a resiliency across North America business communities that truly underscore not only our ability to address the pandemic, but also apply those lessons to areas of risk that remain critical and important. You know, this is, of course, an ongoing challenge. It's, as you said, still an ongoing pandemic. But at the heart of it, to effectively address emerging and evolving risks, we need to first understand what they are. And the Global Risks Report can certainly help in that department. Um, Let's talk about this year's edition, Colleen. Which of the risks from the report do you want to discuss first? Yeah, before I do that, I, I, I don't want to sound dismissive of the pandemic. In one way or another, it's affecting all the challenges we're discussing here. But if there's one risk that can't be pushed to a side, it's climate change. Climate-related risks emerge as the most concerning in this year's report, ranking at or near the top of short, medium, and long-term risks, and, and really risks by severity. Unfortunately, the report points to countries adopting divergent solutions, which really is troubling from a situation standpoint, when at the heart of it, a global collaborative approach is needed. So if that cooperation worldwide does not happen, there are severe financial repercussions, right? Oh, yes. And I'm going to point back to the report for a second here. And by the way, I'm going to remind people, this is really a fantastic report to get your hands on. But it, it warns that an international failure to act on climate change could significantly shrink global GDP in the years ahead. That price tag for complete climate inaction would cost a staggering 4 to 18% of global GDP. That's a huge number. On top of that, large developing economies are expected to bear the brunt of this cost. But I want to emphasize the opportunity is here if we can work together. So what is that opportunity? Can you elaborate on that? Sure. I mean, on the positive side, it, it's really about, you know, again, going back to the report, looking at an orderly and inclusive transition to net zero could be as transformative for economies and societies as past industrial revolutions have been. Think about that for a minute. I mean, that's, that's really powerful. 
But if there's one overriding message of this year's global risk report, it's that the time for committed substantive action on climate is now. Business leaders are increasingly hearing a call from the public to step up, especially as natural catastrophes cause economic losses through primary as well as secondary damage. There's a reputational risk too for companies perceived as lagging or, or even taking a slower pace against climate action. In, in that respect, I think the risk there is they could lose consumer confidence, investor confidence, and even face potential liability risks from that inactivity. Another risk is that those who don't invest in net zero technologies, as well as the skilled professionals that are required to really deal with it, it really does adversely jeopardize their potential long-term success. Those are really good points. And really, the other side of the coin is that uh, doing or taking positive action can really pay off. And I wonder if you could just mention some of the steps Zurich has taken just to offer some examples of corporate responsibility when it comes to building a sustainable future, you know, things that a lot of companies can do. Sure. I mean, of course, I, I want to acknowledge the fact that Zurich is a global company and we have a lot of resources. Um, but as you mentioned, any sites company can take positive steps. We've pledged to become a net zero emissions company by 2050. We're reducing corporate travel by 50%, as well as reducing our real estate impact by increasing the number of offices that take on that certified platinum lead designation, which really represents that highest energy efficient, um, eco-friendly standard. While I think most people know, Zurich's also established a group climate approach to align our business with a 1.5 degrees Celsius future, which aligns with that Paris Agreement. We're helping our customers in new and innovative ways so they can achieve similar goals. I think that's important as well. Zurich North America has a new Office of Sustainability Underwriting that will approach climate change as both a risk and an opportunity when it comes to establishing underwriting strategy and guidelines. And this is really focused on engaging with our customers and working with sustainability partners. And last but not least, I, I'd like to mention that we provide to our communities. We're Zurich North America and the Z Foundation and Resilience Cities Networks have teamed up to create a multi-year program designed to strengthen climate resilience as well as help address social inequities in vulnerable communities. Our first two projects are in Houston and Boston. Wow. And and I know there's a lot more, but it's really inspiring both in terms of the challenges of climate change and steps companies can take. And what I also, uh, I want to um, plug uh, an upcoming podcast we will be offering that will zero in on the climate issues from the Global Risks Report. So, so for now, let's move ahead, Colleen, to your second takeaway for American businesses. Okay. I mean, I think we need to acknowledge the significant economic consequences of the ongoing pandemic. Um, so as we talked about earlier, you know, the WEF report is really a fantastic resource. And 
through that process, they gathered 12,000 respondents from 124 countries for its executive opinion survey, who identified what they view as critical risks in the next two years. Economic risks ranked in the top five for both the U.S. and Canada. Specific risks included asset bubble bursts for large economies, debt crises, and employment and livelihood crises. The report expects the next three years to be characterized by consistent volatility, which can be a little unnerving for folks. Yeah, and and so what would your uh, takeaway be for American business leaders? Um, I would say I think my biggest takeaway is that they need to apply the lessons they've learned from their risk management frameworks to this uncertainty. Many of us already understand that the new, let's say, norm will not necessarily follow patterns of the past. There may be surprises ahead. So businesses need to develop enhanced methods for dynamic risk management. Let's think about enhancing the pace of identification and develop and decision-making over risk strategies. I think this is really critical. The pace of change and the dynamic nature of outcomes all play a part of the evolution that needs to be driven through each company's risk culture. Colleen, that's really great advice for leadership. Now, I want to go to your third area of concern for business leaders, and it surprised me with its people focus. I think you're referring to the mental health crisis, right? Yes. Okay. So for me, I'll step back and say I see this as a fundamental societal risk that ranked high in this year's report, particularly in the form of mental health deterioration. So the report's very clear on the risk here and how pervasive it is around the world, affecting all demographics. And I just wanted to quote from the report because they defined it as, quote, the pervasiveness of mental health ailments negatively impacting well-being, social cohesion, and productivity. And the examples included, but were not limited to, anxiety, dementia, depression, loneliness, and stress. And I'm sure the pandemic has had its influence, right? Uh, Yes, unfortunately. And I think mental health deterioration is one of the risks that's worsened most since the onset of the pandemic. The report notes that it has led to an additional 53 million cases of major depression globally. I mean, that number is daunting. It also is listed as one of the five risks seen as being amongst the most imminent threats around the world. Healthcare concerns and the isolation that you mentioned imposed by lockdowns have contributed to this risk, but there's there's a lot of other pressures here. I mean, if we focus on what's going on right now, you know, there's the economic uncertainty as well as rising commodity prices, inflation. I, I think that's redundant, but my point there is the pressures are mounting. And it's easy to look at this as a very personal crisis for people, but for companies, it most definitely can be a business crisis too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the challenge of mental health deterioration doesn't sit in a vacuum in your house, right? I mean, many of the people suffering from this health risk may well be members of your workforce. So for businesses striving to remain resilient, 
this is a major risk that can't be ignored. Um, people, after all, are at the heart of every organization, its systems, and its infrastructure. You know, you noted in an earlier conversation we had that the report here also points to a silver lining, and it might not be an extremely bright silver lining, but it is a positive nonetheless. Can you talk about that? Sure. I mean, to me, it goes back to the word resilience that I mentioned earlier. The report notes that the pandemic spurred companies to look harder at the resilience of their workforces and the communities in which they're located too. It recommends that employers build a resiliency dimension into health and benefits offerings. So could we offer a few examples of what Zurich has done? Again, this would be just for an example or two that could be adapted by other companies. Sure. I mean, this is an area where I believe Zurich's been quite deliberate. We've prioritized our workforce's mental health with employee assistance programs that provide mental health care benefits. We've also increased opportunities to educate and inform our employees on topics of interest, such as elderly parent care, financial well-being, and the importance of, let's say, for example, relaxation and, and a host of other topics that address current work-life balance challenges. But I think one of the most important things that Zurich has done on top of that is really address flexible work time and enhance the communication between managers, employees. You know, since we're not sitting next to each other, we've really emphasized the need to, to reach out and again be more deliberate about checking in with our workforce's well-being. And what I love about what you've just said is these all feel like scalable solutions, again, for any size company. So let's move on to your takeaway number four from the Global Risks Report, and it's going to be familiar, cyber attacks. This is a risk that keeps growing, and again, the pandemic did not help, right? No, it did not help at all. I mean, you know, the shift to remote work, really, as we, you know, address the pandemic itself, while we have the opportunity where we accelerated digital growth, the, the growing digital dependence exacerbated the cybersecurity risks, and businesses are more vulnerable to increased frequency and severity as a result. Cybersecurity failure was among the top 10 risks the report noted that have worsened most since the start of the COVID crisis. And on top of that, you know, the growing cyber threats are outpacing really society's ability to effectively prevent and manage them. Unfortunately, the sentiment has become not if you're going to experience a cyber event, but when you suffer a cyber event. And the biggest takeaway I take from that is being prepared and able to recover. The reports, a few of the statistics were really sobering. Malware attacks increased by 358% in 2020, and ransomware attacks increased by 435%. And they also pointed out two alarming um, situations. Uh, cryptocurrency is allowing cyber criminals to collect payments with less, much less risk of detection. And businesses are willing to pay these ransoms because they're desperate to retrieve their data. Yeah, Renee, and fortunately, there's really uh, more bad news here. I mean, the report also notes the undersupply of cyber professionals 
a gap of more than 3 million worldwide to provide cyber leadership, test and secure systems, and train people in data hygiene. This is a growing vulnerability for us all. So what can businesses do? Well, I mean, this probably sounds obvious, so I apologize. But in essence, it's just they have to invest the time, the money on an ongoing basis to protect their digital infrastructures. If they don't, the reports and common sense, for that matter, warn that they have little hope of survival from these disruptive cyber attacks. Vigilant cybersecurity measures must become a priority for every size business. And while you say that, I'm thinking of myself and my computer, and really, I think they have to become a priority for each individual. So um, I don't think you can give that advice too often. So, so um, you have said that North American businesses have a major role to play in addressing these risks. Yeah, um, one of the most inspiring points that I took away from this year's report is if you're positioned from a place of strength, it's really important that you look at how you can bring others up. And North America businesses operate in advanced countries in a world of haves and have nots in terms of vaccinations, healthcare, and progression of economies. I mean, we're well positioned to be leaders here, behaving with responsibility and accountability. I was inspired by the report's call for businesses to, I'll quote, take up the mantle, so to say, and to drive innovation that can fill in these gaps and reduce blind spots as many risks, including the ones I've mentioned before, continue to grow. But, you know, often beneath the blanket of the pandemic, some of these things become a bit overshadowed. We can also participate, though, more fully in strategic forums that work with governments and nonprofit organizations to help identify efficient solutions and, and also create fresh initiatives. As North American businesses face these challenges, I think it's essential that we amplify our roles as stewards of our communities and, and in essence, the world beyond. Well, in mentioning that blanket of the pandemic, right now there's there's really no end in sight. What would you say to that? Yeah, I think what's important here is we look at it maybe just with a little different spin. I, I take it as we enter this third year of the pandemic, we can take stock in that it's given us an additional year's worth of experience in battling a monumental challenge. Let's use this experience to confront what lies ahead and revisit our resilience and our capabilities to weather the uncertainty that I've talked about here, and really take that as a, a power to lead from a position of confidence and strength. Colleen, that is an eloquent way to end our conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me.